Manitou. Hi, I'm Pastor Erica. Would you please stand for the scripture reading? 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 11. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze wing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you remain standing as we pray? Lord, as we consider this very familiar story, and Israel is in fear and in dismay, Lord, we invite you to be the Lord. We invite you to be the rescuer, the redeemer of our lives. And if anyone of us in here this morning is in fear or in need of a Savior, Lord, that's all of us. Lord, we invite you in. We know that you are here. We worship you. We love you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today, we get to talk about the story of David and Goliath. Amen? Amen. Amen. I've been thinking this week about this familiar story and praying that we might see in this story something new for us this morning, a breakthrough in our spiritual lives, in our lives before the Lord, that we might look back uh, today, a couple days from now, months from now, a year from now, and, and, and just rethink this story and say, yeah, on that day we, we talked about the story of David and Goliath, but there was a breakthrough in my life. That's what I'm hoping, that's what I'm praying over every one of us in this room. Most of us know about this story. In fact, I was talking to someone not too long ago that knew the story of David and Goliath, but he honestly did not know that the story was in the Bible. He's like, yeah, I know that story. Where does that come from again? It's the Bible. It's in the Bible. And this story is so familiar. I think most of us uh, hear this message. Uh, we often think through sermons and self-help and motivational speeches about this David and Goliath story. And we often ask ourselves, like, what is our our Goliath in our life. Maybe your Goliath is getting out of debt. Maybe your Goliath is uh, breaking into a new career. Maybe your Goliath is, is losing a little weight so you can fit into jeans you used to fit into. You're like, this is my Goliath. And, and there's, there's people use this sermon to to motivate us. Like, yeah, even a little boy, even a shepherd boy can go up against a Goliath and win. And most of us in the story, probably all of us while reading the story, usually imagine ourselves in the story as who? 
That's David. Yeah, like who's our Goliath? And we think we see ourselves in this story. But I want to kind of flip the scripts this morning and imagine us uh, maybe how we ought to, maybe how everyone else in this story imagined themselves. And that is from the point of view of Israel, scared and dismayed, looking out and seeing a giant, uh, someone who we could not conquer in an army that is much stronger than us. And we asking ourselves, we need a savior to go before us. What this sermon will lack in motivational self-help stuff, this sermon will point to the cross. This sermon will lead us to the table where we will celebrate communion, the mystery of Christ's blood and his body, where we say, Lord, we need a savior in our lives. And this sermon today, it's, it only has one point, which I know uh, I usually have. How many points do I usually have? Three. Last week, I messed you up and had four. Do you remember that? And everyone's like, what is going on? This is crazy. The world is upside down. Today, I'm going to mess you up even more because there's just one sermon point, and it's, it's like a tapestry. If you know what a tapestry is, it's a woven picture. Imagine on this picture David and Goliath, but the theme through this tapestry, tapestry is, a, is a single strand. It's a single color woven through this story, which is this. Here's the one point today that I will weave through this sermon, and is this. We are in need of a true savior. We are in need of a true savior. We're imagining ourselves on this battlefield, looking at an army that is much larger than ours, looking at a uh, a Goliath, a giant, and there's no way we can go up against it. We need a hero. David in this story will be the hero for us, and he is a shadow. He is a type for Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Amen? Amen. All right, turn to Scripture. We are going to read an insane amount of Scripture today. So if you have an actual Bible, like a physical Bible, open it up. If you trust yourselves to not get distracted, pull out your phones. Uh, God be with us. And uh, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We are going to read a lot of Scripture. We're going to go through pretty much this whole chapter, which is quite long. And I'm going to be reading and weaving into this uh, sermon the point that we are in need of a true Savior. So if you're there, say amen. Amen. Okay, good. Uh, 1 Samuel 17 says, Now the Philistines those rascals, those nemesises of Israel, that mighty army that is much stronger, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Succoth in Judah. They pitched camp near Ephes Damim between Succoth and Essekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled in the valley of Elah, or Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites, the other, and the valley between them. Um, this, this is a picture, if you, if you wouldn't mind showing a picture uh, that, of this valley. Uh, Philistines are on one side of the hill, the Israelites on the other. In between them is a lush, fertile, very valuable uh, valley that they are fighting over. This is, uh, as we will see, this is a big turning point in the war. This is a very big battle. And it says this, it says, uh, verse four, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, dun, 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 came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. What is six cubits and a span? 
Well, here's, here's some ideas. Uh, uh, it's really huge. It's freakishly huge. Um, it depends on, there's the Greek Septuagint and there's the Hebrew uh, the Masoretic text. And depending on how you translate and then convert those um, numbers into our, what we call feet and inches, uh, he was probably somewhere, somewhere around, if in the Greek text, would be six foot nine, which for, is, a, is a mountain of a man. And in the ancient world, especially, this would be a towering individual, someone who is really, really, really tall. Um, I, I didn't plan to do this, but I, <laughs> Kaylin, would you mind? Would you mind standing? Just here. I'll, I'll, let me stand. Let me stand back to back with Kaylin. This is a. This is, that's uh, enough said, right? Um, Kaelin is actually one inch shorter than Goliath would have been. Uh, so a beast of a man. And then this is uh, even more insane. Uh, in the Hebrew text, the Masoretic text, uh, if it's translated and converted correctly, he was nine feet, nine inches. Uh, think about this. He's uh, the modern day Guinness Book of World Records, uh, the modern man, and they have a picture of him. He's uh, This Goliath would be a uh, a, a foot taller than the modern day, uh, the, the, the picture that's in the goodest book of world records. He, this guy, the modern day guy had acromegalia, uh, a condition of the pituitary that, that continues to put out growth hormone. And so we don't know exactly how tall Goliath was, but he was tall, huge, this, this guy. And he's not just, um, not just really tall, he's really strong because verse 5 says, he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, somewhere around 125 pounds. You thought your uh, uh, winter coat was heavy, like 125 pounds of armor. He's able to walk around with this on. His legs, uh, Erica read this, had bronze greaves, a bronze javelin slung on his back. He had a spear shaft, was like a weaver's rod. It goes on to say this this point, make note of it, an iron point of, of this uh, spear weighed 600 shekels and his uh, shield bearer went ahead of him. And so all this means, there's some words in there that uh, you'd, we'd have to research and figure out what this means. But what this is, is Iron Age technology versus Bronze Age technology. This is state-of-the-art warfare that Goliath is going out with. It would be like in our world, like a nuclear drone going up against what we will see is like a paper airplane. This is, uh, there's no business here of anyone going up against this guy. He's huge. He's, uh, he's outfitted with the state-of-the-art technology, which brings us to this one point we have that we're weaving through is that we are in need of a savior. Here Israel is uh, just in total fear. And when we think about like, what's our Goliath? Well, what if, you know, what if this thing in our lives that we can't beat, which none of us can beat, is actually sin and death and the devil and the grave. And this, like, if that's the Goliath in our world that we're going up against, well, then we, we, we need a savior. Uh, we are in need of a true savior. Israel is in need of a true savior. And, and this story, let it remind us of that. Verse 8 says this, uh, Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel. Um, Erica already read this. Why do you come out and line up for battle? 
says basically, send a man, send someone to fight me. This was common warfare at the time. Verse 10, skipping down, uh, then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight together. On hearing this, the Philistines were Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and frightened. What does this mean? Well, Pardon my French, but they were peeing their pants. They were in terrible fear. They look out and see an army that is, that is mightier than theirs and a single individual, a giant, whom they're supposed to bring one person up and they would fight these two and then that person would win the battle for the whole army and there's nothing they can do. They, they will not win this battle. I imagine everyone was like whispering and saying, well, who should go? And shouldn't Saul go? I mean, he's the king where he's got a couple things going for him that I think everybody would have said, like, shouldn't he be the one who goes? Um, He was, uh, how tall was Saul? Do you remember this from earlier? A head taller than everybody else. So if they got their biggest guy, who's the biggest guy in Israel? Well, probably Saul. He should probably go. And he's got, in, in chapter 13, we find out there's this interesting passage where it says there was only two swords in all of the Israelite army. So think about this again. Like, two armies are lining up. One has all kinds of weaponry, and the Israelites have none because the, the Philistines had taken them over before, took all their weapons, took all their blacksmiths, made it illegal to have a sword, and all they had was farm tools, which had to be brought to the Philistines to be sharpened. And so the Israelites have nothing. They have two swords in their whole army. One belongs to Jonathan, and one belongs to Saul, who's a head taller. So everybody's like, like, shouldn't Saul be the one to go out? And this, if you're able, turn back into uh, Scripture to uh, chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. It's, it's why Israel wanted a king in the first place. I'm looking at verse uh, 1920-ish. Uh, it says that we want a king over us, verse 20 of chapter 8. So this is like flashback. Then, then we will be like, if we have a king, we'll be like all other nations with a king to lead us and to, to go out before us and fight our battles. Like Saul, you have three strikes, man. You're the one who is supposed to go and, and go out. This, look at this dude. And you know, you're our only hope. And yet Saul, we know that his heart is not right. He is not the courageous one. He is not, uh, we know now he's not the anointed one. He was, and now he has fallen into sin. He has fallen out of God's favor. And then the story starts to flip back to where we are in chapter 17, verse 12 starts off with two words, now David. It should say, you know, if we're, it should say, now Saul, like he's the one who should go out, but instead, here is the one who goes out, the real king of Israel. We found out last chapter that he has been anointed. A great way to start this segment, now David. And it says, it repeats the story that we read last chapter. He was a son of an apathrite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem and Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, Jesse was very old. And, and so here's this, it's just good storytelling, these parallel stories from last chapter and this chapter. If you were here last week, we talked about Jesse's oldest sons, who they're mentioned again. Uh, Jesse's oldest sons had followed Saul into war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third was Shemaiah. Uh, verse 14 says, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David had to go back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And then verse 16, for 40 days, how many? 
40 days, the Philistine, this Philistine giant came forward every morning and evening, every morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. 40 is often the, the time of like a, a long, um, like a, 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 a testing of the Lord. Think about it rained for 40 days and 40 nights before the flood and Noah. Uh, how long was Moses on the top of Mount Sinai listening to the Lord? 40 days and 40 nights. How long did Jesus fast in the desert? 40 days. How long, for some of you know this, how long is Lent? 40 days. It's the 40 days before Easter. In fact, today, actually tomorrow, if you start fasting, uh, tomorrow represents uh, 40 continuous days before Resurrection Sunday. And so some of you uh, are, are just maybe just needing a reminder that, yeah, tomorrow starts Lent. Some of you give up things, and that's, that's a great practice. Some of you give up, historically, the church gives up uh, food things, like the, the church gives up meats, like historically, or meat products, or or uh, some of you give up uh, nowadays, I think, like Facebook and social media or movies or uh, the internet or just things that people give up that at the end of it, after 40 days, you're like, man, I need a savior. <laughs> like, I, I need to be reminded of this at least once a year that, that Resurrection Sunday represents a savior and without him, I am nothing. So some of you just might need a challenge. Some of you are like, yeah, whatever you want to challenge me, I'll challenge you. I challenge you hereby on this day, starting tomorrow morning, to give up something for 40 days uh, before Easter and to add something. So some of you are going to pick up this challenge. You'll give up something for 40 days. Uh, and then the other part of the challenge is to add something and add what I would love for you, every one of you to add is just five minutes of devotional before the Lord to whatever it is you're already doing. So some of you are doing uh, whatever in the morning. You have a set time. I challenge you to add five minutes to that. Some of you are like, yeah, I really don't have a set thing. Well, that's the challenge. Have a set thing, five minutes. You got 40 days uh, uh, to do that. And I think by the end of it, you will have this appreciation for, oh, I need Jesus. I need a Savior. I, I, I want to walk with him and need him and talk with him. So uh, that's the challenge. Getting back to our text, uh, 40 days. Philistine came forward every morning, every evening. Verse 17 says, Now Jesse said to his son David, Jesse's the dad. Uh, David is the youngest of all these boys, eight boys. Um, Take an ephah of roasted grain and then these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Uh, uh, Which is always like as a dad, you can't just say, hey, go get that and come back. You can't just end it there. You have to say, and hurry up, like, just come on, like, as a dad, next time you say something, I'm going to do this challenge as well, try not to say hurry up, it doesn't matter, um, but Jesse, it's just what dads say, go bring this bread to your brothers and hurry up, and, and uh, verse 18, take along these 10 cheeses to the commander, <laughs> these snacks, that's what it says, to the commander of the unit, see how your brothers are, Bring back from some assurance from them. So like, go see how things are going. Bring these cheeses. Bring this bread. There was Saul and the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. And so David does what he's told. Verse 20, earlier in the morning, David left the flock in care of a shepherd. I want you to make note of that because this older brother is going to be like a little later, going to accuse him of not taking care of the sheep. But David... Uh, he leaves the flock in the, in the care of a shepherd. He loads up. He sets out as Jesse had directed. He does everything that is right. I mean, up until 
Uh, throughout Scripture, David is seen as someone who is anointed, someone who does what is right. And even when he really messes up in, in 2 Samuel, uh, many of you know that story, he is quick to confess before the Lord. David is someone who is full of integrity, someone, maybe you know someone like this. I pray that, that we would become people like this, who just always are doing what is right and have this conviction to just Yes, I'm going to do this because that is what we do. That is, we, keep the, we keep the truth. We keep the law. We are integrous people who just do what's right. We don't cheat. We don't bend. We, don't, we do what is right. Here's David doing what is right. Skipping down to, um, let's see, verse 20. Uh, he loaded up. Uh, we, we just read that. I guess skipping down a little further. Verse 21. The, the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. Verse 22. David left his things with the keeper of his supplies. That's what he was supposed to do. Ran into the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. That's exactly what he was supposed to do. Uh, as he was talking with them, Goliath. Everybody say, dun, dun, dun. The Philistine, the champion from Gath, stepped out of his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw this man, they all fled from him in great fear. Goliath is a bully. He's a bad guy. I was talking with my boys today, Rowan's five, and and we'll put up a picture of Rowan and his quote. Here's what a bully is. That's Rowan eating some ice cream. A bully is someone being mean to someone else just for fun. Like, this is what Goliath is doing. He's being mean. He's being horrible. He's, he's defying the army of Israel. And then he even has the audacity to defile and, and make fun of their God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh. This is a reminder that we are in need of a true Savior. This, there is a world that is against us. There is the devil. There is death. There is sin. And it's against us. And we need a Savior Verse 25, back to the story. Um, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man comes out? He comes out to defy Israel. And then it goes into what, the, what David will, what the person who will, will get if uh, they conquer this giant. And imagine being David, kind of thinking back. So David shows up and for 40 days, uh, I guess he didn't know what was going on. He shows up and I imagine this has become the new normal for the Israelites to, to just wake up in the morning and first thing, someone's defying uh, you and your God. And this happens every morning and every night. And maybe you've kind of come accustomed to it. And yeah, this is when we all run in fear. And David shows up and he's like the new kid. Imagine uh, a new kid comes to your school and you're showing him around and you're like, yeah, here's first period and second period. In between first and period and second period, there's a bully who comes. He meets me at my locker. I give him my lunch money. And you're like, Really? And then in between second period and third period, I, I let him have whatever he wants out of my lunch. Uh, he just takes the best. And then uh, between fourth period and fifth period, the same bully comes back and I do, my ho- I, I do his homework for him. And it, David's like, whoa, like, this is not right. This is not normal for this to be happening. And so he says this. Uh, he just asks about the situation, skipping down. Uh, let's see. Um, the Israelites had to say, and see how this man comes out, how he comes to defy Israel. The king will give him great wealth to the man who kills him. So great wealth. He will also give his daughter in marriage. So you get to be part of the royal family, marry into the family. This daughter, who it ends up being Micah. Uh, and then he will be exempt. His whole family will be exempt from taxes in Israel. 
Like, that'd be pretty nice. I mean, your whole family, like April 15th is coming up. Do you have any idea how much I owe in state taxes this year? Like that, Goliath, wow, maybe, you know, go out there and see what you can do. But uh, verse 26, David asked the man standing near him, what will be done? And then they kind of repeat, that's what will be done. Uh, skipping down to verse 28, uh, then Eliab, David's oldest brother. He should be. So there's older brother, then there's like, eight kids. David's the youngest of eight, and they have a conversation. Eliab should be so happy, right? I mean, David's bringing these cheeses and the meats and these snacks. He's bringing good word and how dad is. He got the sheep taken care of. Eliab's so happy, right, to see David. Instead, it says this. Uh, it says, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Like, they, like David had it, had took care of it, you know. Um, he goes on to say, uh, "How conceited you are!" Like this is just classic brother talk, big brother, little brother. How conceited you are! How wicked your heart is! You've came down only to watch the battle, which is not true. He was sent, and then David says, "What now? What have I done?" Said David, "Can't I even speak?" He turned away. It's a good move. Turned away to, to someone else and brought up the same matter. Uh, verse 31, when David said, uh, was overheard. So David's like asking about this Goliath and kind of like, you could tell like David's going to do something. And so they sent for Saul. Verse 32 says, uh, then David said to Saul, and I imagine this is like a scene where like, uh, there's like a, like a music playing and then the record like, is like comes to a stop and everyone just like stops and looks like, at David, like Jim Halpert, like condescendingly looking at the camera, like, like, what's David up to? What did David just say? And David says this, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Like, what? Like, really? And then Saul says what everyone's thinking. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You were only a young man, and he has been a warrior since his youth. But what we will see, David's response here, is all about a rescuer. It's all about Yahweh. It's all about the Savior. He doesn't say, I've been uh, doing this and that. He gives all credit to the Lord. He says, in fact, this has happened before, a lion and a bear, and the Lord has rescued me. Listen to what this says. Uh, verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Like, wow, like a lion or or a bear. I imagine like little David like showing up at his dad's house, Jesse. It's like, dad, 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 what? Dad, dad, what? Dad, guess what I did? What? What did you do? It's like, well, a lion came and got one of the sheep. He's like, oh no. Oh well. It's like, but don't worry, dad. I went after the lion. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did, Dad. I went out to the lion. I got the sheep out of its mouth. And when it turned on me, guess what I did? I grabbed it. I struck it. And I killed it. And look at this. It's a lion's head. Jesse's like, goo. Why would you do that? If you ever do that again, I am going to kill you myself. And then, and then David's like, oh, okay, okay, I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I thought you'd be happy about the sheep. And Jesse's like, no, like we have other sheep. That's what sheep do is they make more sheep. That's, no. 
don't ever do that again. Promise me. He's like, okay, I got it. I got it. I'm just kind of making up a scene between a dad. Can you imagine like your son telling you, I killed a lion, dad, for you. Don't ever do that again. A couple months pass or whatever. And David comes to us and says, dad, 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 what? Dad, dad, what? A bear came and got a sheep. <laughs> no, it didn't. Yes, it did, dad. Okay, we're cool though, right? He's like, yeah, I went after it. I got it out of his mouth. I killed it. Look, there's a bear's head. And Jesse's like, we talked about this. And David's like, no, we didn't. We talked about a lion. Like, this is, this is a bear. He's like, that's worse. Why would you do this to me? And, and David says, like, look at what he says. He's, he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Verse 36 this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. And then look what it says. He gives all credit to the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will rescue me from this hand of this Philistine. And so it is the Lord. It is the Lord who rescues. And David sees that David's ultimate trust is totally in the Lord. Our, our trust is in the Lord, the same God of the cross, the same God who is Jesus. That is our rescuer. That is who David um, ultimately trusts in, not in his sling, but in the Lord. And so we have this scene where David, uh, Saul dresses David, verse 38. Uh, it just doesn't, it's, he's not used to it. And that's a classic blunder to go out into battle with stuff that's new that you're not used to. The other classic blunders are, of course, a land war in Asia and going against a Sicilian when death is on the line. Uh, that's a quote from a really dumb movie. Um, verse 40, David took a staff. What's a staff? It's just, it's, it's a stick. And he has a sling. I have a sling here, uh, something like this. I got this uh, years ago in Tibet. This is made out of wool, so it's made out of uh, uh, the, the sheep's fur. Is that what that is? Uh, and it's wound together, and it has uh, a little part where the, where the rock goes. You put your hand through here. And he goes out with this, a very simple weapon. Uh, you'd put a stone in here or some sort of a lead ball, and this is it. Like David goes out with a stick in this thing. And here's a guy who it says was wearing armor, 125 pounds of armor. And he has a helmet on. And David has a stick in that string. And it is, it is ridiculous. And this is the hero that God uses. Verse 41, uh, it gets in with to the story. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked over David and saw that it was just more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. He despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come out at me with sticks? He's again just being a bully. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And it's going to get even more graphic here. Uh, pardon me for just a second while I read. Um, I remember uh, years ago, I memorized this passage and I thought, if I'm ever in a fight, I'm going to quote this really loud. <laughs> David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, of whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. This day, I will give the carcass, uh, carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds uh, and the wild animals and the whole world, which we know it came true. We're even talking about it today. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and all those gathered here will know 
that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. This is the word of the Lord, and God's people said, thanks be to God. Like, wow, do you see how much trust David has in the Lord, in the Lord as his rescuer? The Lord will deliver. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, and it is not by sword or spear that, the, that, that, that this battle will take place, but it is in the Lord. And he saves, for the battle is the Lord's. It's all about the Lord to David. And so this morning, this, this last, this only point that we've been weaving in is that we are in need of a true Savior. This is the only point this morning that I, I can see so clearly from Scripture. It, this is a, surely a motivational talk about finding your giant and conquering him, but really the, the big giants, the real giants in our life, like sin, like the devil, like death itself, like the grave, we need a savior. There is, we can't go up against death. We cannot go up against the, 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 the real giants of this world and win. We are in need of a savior. And ultimately, this, this David is a shadow, is a type for Jesus. It's why maybe the New Testament begins in Matthew 1.1 with the genealogy. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Genealogy of Jesus, Matthew 1.1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. Like it, it brings upon this memory that, that David is being totally fulfilled in Jesus. As much as David was the hero, Jesus is the true hero, the true rescuer, the true redeemer. David is willing to lay his life down for sheep. Does that sound familiar? Someone in the New Testament says that. A true shepherd is one who will lay down his life for the sheep to be a true rescuer. This David is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, David is the anointed one. The previous chapter, David gets anointed with oil to be the king. Um, and what that word is, anointed one, in Hebrew, it's the word Messiah. Isn't Jesus the ultimate Messiah, the true Messiah? You know what that word anointed is in Greek? Christ. Like Jesus ultimately is fully, truly the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, our hero, our redeemer, the one who won everything on the cross, is willing to go to death for us, for these lowly servants of these lowly humans. We look around and, and we could say, yeah, we're kind of like sheep. Like we, we, we are scared and we are terrified. We are like Israel in life in this story and we are in need of a savior. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray, as we consider this story, as we reacquaint ourselves with the true hero, God, Jesus, who was and is. As the band comes up, Lord, we humble ourselves and we quiet ourselves before you as we, Lord, prepare our hearts for the table to come and to to feast upon the mystery of your body and your blood shed for us as we remember you, remember your cross, remember that you are the ultimate hero, you are the ultimate savior of the world, of humanity. Lord, we give you our attention, we give you our hearts, 
Lord, we believe in you. Lord, for all of us in here that are convicted this morning that we want to trust in you, Jesus, as our true Savior, Lord, let this day be a breakthrough. Let this day be a, um, a dedication to you, a rededication to you of our lives, that we would put our full trust in you. We would say to you, the first step of salvation is admitting like we cannot save ourselves. You are the one who can save us. You are the hero that we all need. So, Lord, we worship you and we praise you.